Hi guys, welcome to the Church Split. My name is Will. You guys know what we do here. We help you escape your church's echo chamber, learn to think critically, and of course, challenge the status quo, which always means uh, always needs challenging. Actually, I said learn to think critically. It's actually learn to think biblically. I don't even know my own tagline anymore. But anyway, uh, for those of you who are new here, go ahead and like and subscribe to the channel if you like what this episode is about. If you don't or you hate this channel, uh, leave us a nice spiteful comment below. We'll be uh, getting to your complaint regularly and as quickly as possible. But first and foremost, we do have a special guest with us today. We have Dr. Tim Stratton with Free Thinking Ministries with us. Uh, how are you doing, Tim? Doing great, Will. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. And, uh, and so for those of you who have been following us for a while, uh, Dr. Stratton was actually very kind when Brian and I first kind of launched the church split in a more regular and formal fashion. Uh, actually, Dr. Stratton came on and was one of the first people we had on a long time ago, uh, back in the time when we had Braxton on and a few others to kind of help us get put on the map at all. So we're actually really thankful to have him back. He's an old friend of the channel, and it's actually been like three years since he's been on the channel, which is way overdue because uh, Dr. Shat and I have texted a few times like, oh, we should talk about this, this like in the next couple of weeks. And we're like, yeah, and <laughs> then not, we don't follow up. So right. <laughs> uh, we're both we'll talk busy. On the phone. it's mm -hmm. dude, it's a never ending grind, you know, right, so. Right. But for those of you in the live audience, uh, if you have any questions or concerns, go ahead and save them toward the end. Or if you uh, start entering them now, just put question or cue that'll help us uh, know what to identify. Or if you super chat it, of course, we'll definitely get it uh, get to it right away if you're going to throw money at us, because that's how, <laughs> how the game works, which reminds us, also support us on Patreon. But if you haven't already, go check out uh, Free Thinking Ministries if you like things of like what we do here if you like what uh trinity radio does uh free thinking ministries is right up your alley it's kind of along all that same vein so we definitely want that but dr stratton has his own thing uh with this but so first off uh tim what have you been up to since the last time you were on i mean it's been about three years so i mean have you done yeah. anything relatively interesting uh, has there been anything that's come up you've debated james white since i know that yeah, I had a yeah, I've had three debates in those three years. Um, first one was was with James White. That was quite the experience. I was uh, really nervous and uh, you know learned a lot through that experience. That was in Houston in front of a live audience. Um, and the the live audience uh, who came there, they basically ninety nine percent of them came there for James White. So I had quite the uh, experience dealing with a, a hostile crowd. <laughs> um, but you know, it was, I loved it. It was so much fun, but you know, I definitely was nervous, made some, uh, rookie, uh, style, let's call them style errors. I lost some style points, but I felt great as far as the content was concerned. And I keep pointing people to that debate. And I, I tell people to look at my opening speech, look at the arguments I gave, look at the biblical data I offered, and then see if James White ever, uh, handle interacted my art with my arguments or defeated my arguments. And I say, no, he didn't. Um, so I feel good about that, but yeah, I, yeah, I look bad at times, but you know, I'm, I'm used to that. I, uh, I, I look bad right now, I'm sure. So, <laughs> um, but, uh, then I, my next debate was with Chris Dayton. He's a dear friend, um, and colleague at Trinity college of the Bible and theological seminary. Um, and so that was a different kind of a thing because we truly, we don't just say, oh, we're brothers in Christ. Like we really care about each other. Um, and so that was a different thing. And uh, 
felt good about that debate. And uh, then this last one um, was with Alex Malpass a couple of weeks ago. And he's an atheist out of England, a PhD philosopher. And that was on the free thinking argument. And uh, love that one. Um, thought it went great. And again, I definitely wasn't perfect. I look back, I'm like, oh, I should have said this. I had another argument I, I failed to give and I worded some things. Uh, I could have worded some things better, but off the top of your head in the heat of the battle, not perfect. Um, but all in all, feel really good about that debate and think uh, the free thinking argument stood strong by the end. So uh, that, you know, I've been doing that, been writing, uh, you know, I, I think last time I was on, I was, I think I was promoting this book, um, mm -hmm. Human Divine Knowledge and Mere Molinism. And, you know, uh, it's received a lot of praise and a lot of hate. Um, and I've, I, I love, I actually love the hate uh that it, that's come at it and even some that's come upon me personally i mean i don't like that it should it should be directed at the book but i just can't believe that sometimes it spills over against the author um but uh the criticisms of the book um are just really going to help make the second edition stronger there's been some philosophers some phd philosophers out there who have pushed back against some of the things uh, that I've said. And I'm like, oh, that's a good point. I should reword that. But, you know, I, I still recommend the book with uh, an asterisk just saying, hey, it's uh, the second edition's coming out. It's going to be a little more or a lot more philosophically precise. It's going to have a lot more content added to it. But I still stand behind the big ideas of that book. So, uh, you know, hopefully in the next couple of years, the second edition will be out. Been working on it. The 12th chapter has been gutted and replaced. It's al already been rewritten. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to that coming out. And recently, I even had a book. I uh, got to take part in a book um, called uh, Faith Examined. Um, and this is, uh, yeah, called Faith Examined, New Arguments for Persistent Questions. And these are essays in honor of Frank Turek. And uh, I have a chapter in there. Eric Hernandez has a chapter in there. Lisa Childers has a chapter. A bunch of people are, uh, there's 12, I think, 12 chapters, maybe more. Sean McDowell writes the foreword. Um, really good. But anyway, I've stayed really busy. I'm teaching at Trinity College of the Bible and Theological Seminary, um, doing debates, writing books. I've got another book coming. Oh, I've written an article with J.P. Moreland on the free thinking argument, mm -hmm. uh, a journal article. Uh, that's been awesome. We've got another one coming out. And now J.P. had the idea for a book. I'm now the one of the co-editors of that book, working with 15 other scholars on the argument from reason, free thinking arguments, things like that, and why they need libertarian freedom. And uh, yeah, that's gonna be out hopefully, hopefully by the end of this year, uh, we'll see uh, how things go. But uh, man, been staying very busy and yeah, causing some waves. And I guess that's why I'm here with you today. So. Yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, no, I, it's great to be busy. It's great to keep that keep that up. Um, I like the fact that you're working on a second edition. Uh, when my book on the atonement gets released, I already told you, I was like, I pretty much plan to launch it and I'll probably start working on a second edition right away. And some people yeah. don't understand that, like in the in the writing world, that's actually pretty normal. And that's mainly because as you gain feedback, you're like, ooh, I could, I, I didn't clarify that as much, or yeah. I could, people do want me to expound on that point that I thought yeah. I didn't, I could breeze over. Other parts might be like, oh, maybe I should, that was a good criticism. Maybe I should augment this. So nice. that's great. I think it's awesome. I think that shows humility. I think that shows uh, a desire to be as best as you can be. Um, so anyway, 
And uh, Nick Quint, I will send it to you when I'm done with my main manuscript. So uh, I will, but I'll gladly send that to you. Because uh, my, my job, what I'm trying to do is thread the needle between the ac academy and the guy who sits in the pew. And you'll be surprised how difficult of a, of a work that can be. <laughs> so my trying world. to find a way to communicate yeah. actual important stuff to normal people, which I know we're talking about today a little bit. Yeah, that's what drives me. I mean, I got in, I got into academia through the back door. I didn't even really try to get there. It wasn't, it wasn't my goal. I was a youth pastor um, who didn't know anything about scholarship um, or uh, systematic theology or uh, I just knew the gospel and I wanted kids to know the gospel. Um, and in this, in this process, most, a lot of people know my story, but uh, some of the students in my high school youth group and in, in the college group were falling away, being picked off by atheism. And so I got into I, I got into apologetics first. Um, so I, I, I went from just knowing nothing about apologetics, philosophy, systematic analytic theology or anything like that. Just had a passion for Jesus, had a passion for the gospel, had a passion for evangelism and uh got into apologetics because I saw that the kids needed to know why Christianity was true. And I realized I needed to know why it was true myself. I didn't even know how to explain it. Um, and so I started getting into apologetics, went and got a master's degree in that from Biola. That turned into, you know, launching free thinking ministries where the goal at first was just to write popular level stuff. But then it gets attacked by People that are saying, oh, that's too pop level. And they, they start bringing it down to the deeper water. So I'm like, okay, I'll go down there with you. And then it goes deeper and deeper. And pretty soon I'm getting a PhD in systematic theology and co-authoring academic journals with JP Moreland. And, and, uh, but all of that, all the while still saying, okay, I want to take what I'm working on here because, and bring it back to the reason why I got into this in the first place. And that's for the regular person. Mm -hmm. And I think, uh, a lot of folks, I mean, you're always going to make people mad uh, when you do, at least I do. I, because when I'm dealing with the, the regular person, you got the academics and those who consider themselves to be scholars, even when they're not, you know, uh, you know, and they're not publishing material or speaking at philosophy conferences or anything like that. But they're like, oh, Stratton is uh, not being careful in his wording. And I'm like, well, I'm trying to use a wording that regular people understand. Okay, but I if I okay, I'll go, I'll swim in your waters for a while and I go over there. And then I got the people I was talking to, the regular person in the pew, saying, Why are you speaking over our heads? I'm like, okay, well, let me come back over here so I can communicate this. And and it's just constant back and forth. And look, I, I finally come just to realize I have to live with that because I do believe that God has called me to continue equipping the church and not just the 1% of the church, but the church and trying to help people understand what they believe and why they believe it, why Christianity is true, to understand why the arguments raised against the knowledge of God fail. Um, and uh, But by doing that, I also realized that I can't, at least for me personally, I can't only swim in those waters. I have to go occasionally jump into these waters that I never planned on swimming in. And that's the these academic waters of philosophy and you know things like that and so i i like i go back and forth between these two bodies of water i guess and whenever you do that you're going to cause some confusion but i'm trying my best and i think i'm doing what god's called me to do
So absolutely. Well, that's awesome. And we'll talk about that more definitely here in a minute, because I have some words uh, that I'll be, I think, on Than, uh, Than's channel next week uh, talking mm. about it as well. But um, cool. so one of the things I wanted to talk about. So first off, last time we had you here. We talked about your book, which is primarily about Molinism, right? Like, and how, and, and yeah. kind of like the mere Molinism concept. And you kind of gave some of your opinions, some of the ways it could fit into other views. But the idea was generally Molinism. And I think it was at chapter 12 in the book, you talked about libertarian free will, yeah. right? Yeah, Isn't yeah. That, okay. So you talk about free will in a chapter of your book, but it was kind of like more of like, hey, I'm just going to do a breeze over of this mm -hmm. because this is part of what is in yeah. the Molinism view, but also it's not right. a book dedicated to free will because there's endless amounts of literature on free will determinism. Do we, do we not mm -hmm. all that? And so you, you had this chapter, but now, but what's interesting is that your ministry itself is called free thinking ministries and yeah. you have re referenced the free thinking argument on here. And so some of our listeners might not be familiar with what the free thinking argument is. And I was just wondering if you could articulate why, what the free thinking argument is and why it's important. Oh, wow. Okay. So um, let me point people if they want to, to read a, a good pop level blog on this uh, that I specifically wrote for beginners. And it's called the free thinking argument for beginners at freethinkingministries.com uh, or freethinkinc.org. So that's freethinkinc.org. And, uh, but, but, but ultimately, if one denies that they are a libertarian free thinker ever, that they ever have the ability to freely think, then that means they have to point to and, and tell me uh, or, you know, explain what exactly, if they're not a free thinker, then that means that something or someone else is determining the entirety of their mental activity. So I said, okay, well, tell me what that is. Um, when you're talking to the atheists, they're normally going to say, well, these past antecedent conditions, the laws and events of nature. And so I start to unpack that and I, I say, okay, well then that's mindless stuff. You're saying, you're telling me that mindless stuff that knows nothing about metaphysics and could care less if you know anything about metaphysics is determining the entirety of your mental activity, including all your thoughts and beliefs about metaphysics. Um, well, if that's the case, then you have reason to doubt your thoughts and beliefs about metaphysics, including, uh, which would include that you believe naturalistic determinism is true or that you believe atheism is true. And so I'm raising a defeater showing that the source of your beliefs, if you're going to say that you're not the source of at least some of your beliefs, that you're not the first, um, that you're not a first mover or a first thinker, then that means that something or someone else is the source of your, of your thoughts and beliefs. Something or someone else is the source, which is sufficient to necessitate the entirety of your mental activity, including everything you think and believe. If you're not the source, then you have to tell me what is. And then if we can show that that's an untrustworthy, unreliable source, then a defeater is raised against your metaphysical beliefs. And that's a big problem. So uh, ultimately, this sets up uh, the free thinking argument, which is related to the work that C.S. Lewis started in the 1940s, um, which is now known as the problem or the argument uh from reason. And as JP Moreland and I explained in our, in our uh, paper, I mean, we're, I think that we showed why CS Lewis was right by un, unpacking a few more things. Um, a lot of times the argument from reason, I think is too quickly dismissed. I think CS Lewis was dead on, but just as I can uh, 
often need to rephrase things or reword things to make it better. He had the same issues. Um, but the concept that he had was right. And when people go after wording and not constant, people do this to me all the time. They go after the wording when they know what it means. They know what the concept behind or the big idea behind the premises. But if you're just going to nitpick about words and not the big ideas, and you're never going to kill the argument. Um, and that's why there's so many versions of the free thinking argument out there. When people nitpick on words, I'm like, okay, I can reword it for you. The concept, the big ideas never have changed. So until people deal with the big ideas, then the argument's not going to go anywhere. Um, so let's see. Did you did you want me to give a, a version of it? I, there's several yeah, versions. Could, yeah, could you, yeah give, just give your basic version that's going to upset all the academics. Just <laughs> okay, for well, those what? in our audience. <laughs> okay, so here's one. Here's the one from uh, the book. This, so this came out in 2020. Um, and I've changed it since then. So this is one that initially got a lot of pushback. So I said, premise one, if human nature does not include an immaterial soul, then humans do not possess libertarian freedom. Or no, 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 that's number two. Sorry, it's on the wrong page. Okay, premise Come one. Come on, Tim. <laughs> if, premise one, if naturalism is true, human nature does not include an immaterial soul. Uh, number two, then, if human nature does not include an immaterial soul, then humans do not possess libertarian freedom. Three, if humans do not possess libertarian freedom, then humans do not possess the ability to rationally infer and rationally affirm knowledge claims. Four, humans do possess the ability to rationally infer and rationally affirm knowledge claims. Five, therefore, humans possess libertarian freedom. Six, therefore, human nature includes an immaterial soul. Seven, therefore, naturalism is false. And then I make an abductive move at the end. And so this is not deductive like the others, but I say the best explanation of the existence of the immaterial soul and or libertarian freedom is God. So I do now realize, okay, I stand by the big ideas behind each one of those premises and each conclusion. Um, but I do agree. Yeah, I could word some things better for the sake of clarity. So in the Frank, the, the faith exam book that just came out, um, it's based on the argument that I, the updated argument that I offered with J.P. Moreland. And so now the editor of this book did say I should take the word robust out, um, but I'm going to put the word robust back in. And I do explain what I mean by that in here. But this is how J.P. Moreland and I offered it in our paper. I said, one, if robust naturalism is true, God and, oh, you know what, this is not even worded. Uh, like I did with JP, but so just let me give you this one. One, if natural, if robust naturalism is true, God and the soul do not exist. Two, if God and the soul do not exist, humanity does not possess the libertarian freedom to think. Three, if humanity does not possess the libertarian freedom to think, then humanity is never epistemically responsible. Four, humanity is occasionally epistemically responsible. Five, therefore, humanity possesses the libertarian freedom to think. Six, therefore, God and the soul exist. Seven, therefore, naturalism and robust naturalism is false. And then eight, the best explanation of God's soul and the libertarian freedom of humanity is the biblical account of reality. Um, now, I think that's a, a decent one. Now, the one I, I argue with or that I offered with J.P. Moreland, we argue that if robust naturalism is true, then God or things like God do not exist. And so things like God, I typically take to mean uh, immaterial thinking things with active causal power that are not determined 
by something or someone else, you know, not determined by the laws and events of the natural universe, uh, things like that. Now, I we we left even even though J.P. Moreland is one of the leading arguers for substance dualism and the soul in the world, um, we decided to leave room for the uh, Christian physicalist uh, like my friend Chris Date or even like Peter Van Inwagen. Uh, Van Inwagen is a leading defender of libertarian freedom. Chris Date opposes libertarian freedom, but they're both Christian physicalists. That is, they don't believe in the soul. But the way we re we worded the new argument still leaves room for the Christian physicalist because, um, <laughs> you know, I think I said something in the paper like, if I'm just a physical thing that doesn't have a soul, but I'm still free to think, free from the laws and events of nature, free from being determined by mindless antecedent conditions um, so that I can attain truth about ultimate reality. And then that seems more miraculous than a soul, even if I'm just a physical thing. Because, I, you know, how many other physical things are free from the laws and events of nature? Um, so anyway, we, we worded it in that way to, to leave room for the Christian physicalist. Now, with that said, let me give you the latest version uh, that I gave um, in my debate with Alex Malpass just a couple weeks ago. I I made I tried to make it shorter and skip the first premise just to get it get us straight into naturalistic determinism because I knew that uh, he was he, uh, he was a naturalistic a naturalist who's also a determinist. Um, this debate was, you know, the catalyst for our debate was the Ben Shapiro versus Alex O'Connor debate, which took place on the same platform a couple of weeks before that, or maybe a month before that or so. And O'Connor was a naturalistic determinist. So I said, okay, let's just go straight into that. And so this one goes like this. Premise one, if naturalistic determinism is true, then human beings lack libertarian freedom to if human beings lack libertarian freedom, then their rational processes are unreliable to attain truth about metaphysical matters. Three, human beings' rational processes are reliable to attain truth about metaphysical matters. Four, therefore human beings have libertarian freedom. Five, therefore naturalistic determinism is false. And man, I've got so many other arguments I could give. Uh, one that I was hoping to give in my debate with Malpass, but never got around to it. Um, uh, one that I've offered elsewhere, uh, like to the Evangelical Philosophical Society. Uh, but yeah, I'll take a break. I'll give it back to you. It's your show after all. <laughs> I don't mind. I asked the question. So, and Brian and I, <laughs> and I have regularly, <laughs> oh, I'm the same way. So this is going to be great. It'll be a six hour podcast. Right. Uh, so one of the things I say regularly, like I'd rather take the time to like unpack something if I can rather, uh, rather than just like give you the blitzed version. But for mm -hmm. those of you who are like, who are listening um, cause it's our funny, it's funny. Our audience is very broad as far as like interests are concerned. So for those of you who are still going like, that was a lot of jargon, but essentially this determinism can't be true because you are a free thinking agent if you're a free thinking agent and you can rationally infer 
things and your senses are reliable and you can actually freely think, then therefore determinism must be false. Both divine determinism is false and naturalistic determinism is false because your rationality has to come from maybe an immaterial soul, or as you said, you made room for your Christian physicalists, um, if in case you're not a, like a dualist or something. So yeah. uh, basically, um, and that's why it's a good argument against what I love about the free thinking argument is it, <laughs> it, it goes after two things I greatly disagree with. It, it debunks Calvinism in my mind and it debunks uh and it debunks naturalism or uh as we still call a robust naturalism if we right. want to be pedantic about it well yeah and, yeah so what is robust i mean uh jp in our uh article offered a footnote and, and he's he's distinguishing between robust naturalism and faint-hearted naturalism and so the faint-hearted naturalist uh they want to call themselves a naturalist but still help themselves as he says to immaterial emergent realities, um, such as emergent properties and um, things like that. But it's, it's still, it's problematic. In fact, he's got a forthcoming essay coming out that I've read, um, at least some of it. And uh, he's gonna show that uh, the faint-hearted naturalist has some problems too, <laughs> some pretty big issues to deal with. But in our paper, we just said, let's just laser focus on the robust naturalist, the one who will not help themselves to the immaterial uh, realities, because after all, I, I don't think most of them want to do that because as soon as they open the, the door to immaterial realities, they open the door, they, they let a divine foot in the door, so to speak, a divine immaterial foot in the door. And, you know, I'm like, oh, okay, well, you want to say that we have immaterial, that, that we're an immaterial thinking thing, but, and, but immaterial thinking things like God can't exist or they, or, you know, whatever it is. I mean, most I've found, at least in my experience, especially all the time I spend on the college university, uh, college professors um, who are naturalists and the, the students who are, you know, ardent atheists, they're all defending this robust naturalistic view. Um, and so that's what we're going after. But then I, I just, you know, skip all that debate and just go, hey, straight up, if naturalistic determinism is true, what follows from that? And so I, so that if you, if you start with that premise, then you don't have to have that conversation like, what is robust naturalism? Let's just get straight in. If you're a naturalist and a determinist about humanity, then this is what's going to follow. So, uh, man, you said something else that I wanted to touch on. Um, it was robust naturalism and something else, and I forgot it. But uh, I mentioned that it goes after Calvinism and it goes after nat uh, robust yeah, yeah, naturalism. Yeah. yeah. So um, what's interesting, so I was a hardcore Calvinist. As a pastor, I preached Calvinism from the pulpit, and uh, and this, you know, most people know that uh, even when I got married, I was a Calvinist, pretty staunch Calvinist. I was a Calvinist before it got cool. Um, I mean, I, I started being a Calvinist in the '90s, and I really grabbed a hold of it, and you know, probably 2000, 2000. Like I took it from. I mean, I would say even in the in the late 90s, I would be like, does God determine everything? Yes. When I drop my pencil, God determined it. When I stub my toe, God determined it. When I sin, God determined it. Um, you know, uh, when Hitler does the Holocaust, God determined. I was, but I would still try to find room for, I'd say, so, well, we're still responsible. Back then, I couldn't even explain why um, because I didn't get into <laughs> logic really <laughs> until afterwards. But, um, but, Okay, so fast forward. It's probably uh, you know it's two thousand between two thousand eight two thousand ten that that time period. 
And that's when I start getting into apologetics because I realize my students need it. Um, and getting into systematic theology. We have to make sense. We have to have a, the coherence of Christian theism. Um, now what I've learned is the right term you know, to use. And so I start getting into the stuff then. I'm a determinist at the time, a divine determinist. And I start realizing, because uh, I'm interacting with the local science professors at UNK who are atheists, and I'm interacting with them and they they had this group on campus called the the atheist freethinkers, and uh, and I'm I'm talking to them trying to show why they're wrong, and they're like, yeah, we're the freethinkers, and then they start saying, there's no free will, everything is determined, uh, and, you know, I'm like, wait, what? And uh, it, it it seemed to me at the time that if there's no free will, there's no free thinking, and I started to realize, well, that's a problem for me too. Um, but then I realized, but man, if we are a soul created in the image of God, then I wouldn't be determined by the laws and events of nature like these these guys are. So, I mean, I really started going through all of this. Anyway, um, my goal wasn't to take down Calvinism at the start. Uh, my goal was to take down atheism and, and naturalism, especially robust naturalism. You know, I want to take take these ideas down. That's the That was the goal. And I went and I remember... When I was still at Biola, I was asked to, uh, so it's probably 2011 maybe, I was asked to speak at a church and kind of uh, open for Craig Hazen. Then Craig Hazen, his flight, there was a blizzard in Dallas, which is the weirdest thing ever, and he got stuck there. And so they said, Tim, he's not going to make it. Can you be the, the lead speaker tonight? I'm like, oh, I'll, sure, I guess. And so anyway, I got to speak to this big crowd because I was. it was just going to be a breakout session I, now that... I think about it. Anyway, uh, I'm giving this talk saying, hey, guys, this is why atheism fails. This is why naturalism fails. And I started getting pushback from a small group in the church in the, during the Q&A. And they and ultimately asked me to come back later uh, with some other Calvinists up there to in a, like a panel discussion over this. Um, and, and it just was crazy to me that these Christians... Were, and I would still, even at the time, no, I, I, wanna, I, I had since started saying, no, I, I'm no longer a Calvinist, but I was still kind of maybe leaning that way. I was, uh, but I, I would affirm Molinism at the time, but um, still had a long way to go with that. Uh, but I couldn't believe that I was getting attacked by Calvinists, my former, my former friends, or, you know, who I still thought were friends. Um, then I spoke at another event. Same thing happened. And I realized that really they didn't like it when I reached that deductive conclusion, therefore libertarian freedom exists. I'm like, no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. I'm like, guys, this defeats atheism. This defeats naturalism. We don't care. You know, and like, so then I started, I started realizing, well, gosh, I can just tweak this argument just a little bit and show why divine determinism that I used to hold to and that these Calvinists are holding is false. And so when I started doing that, people lost their ever-loving minds. And, um, you know, it's just, even when I went to work on my PhD, I initially initially was not in the theology department. I initially was accepted into the philosophy department. And I was going to go after atheistic naturalism primarily. But I kept getting attacked by Christians kept getting attacked by Calvinists and divine determinists 
And so in talking to my supervisors, I was like, maybe I should just try to show how Mullen is because it was at a reformed university and started talking to him about maybe a good thing to do is to show how Molinism is compatible with reformed theology. And, uh, what's funny is what, what the guy that started out as my supervisor said, no, I won't do that. Another guy said, Hey, I will. He was in the theology department. He says, I'll take that on because we all have to come to the theology department. And I'm like, all right, I think I'll do that because I'm getting attacked too much by Christians. And so I say, look, Christians, Calvinists, divine determinists. Uh, if you don't want me to keep doing all this stuff, showing why divine determinism is false, then stop attacking me. I'm just going, I want to go after atheistic, robust naturalism. That's my primary goal and passion, but keep dragging me into these other waters. And I, I'm like, all right, I'll have that, that debate too. I'll have that discussion there as well. So anyway, if, if it weren't for Christians, I wouldn't be uh, arguing with Christians. Uh, so but it kind of helped. I mean, I think it helped uh, kind of sharpen the sharpen you a little bit because learning how to debate on both sides is actually really important. Right. And then yeah. on top of that, like because you use a, uh, James White has told you to repent of using this argument, but you've used it uh, called the deity of deception argument. Right. So if God had determines you to have false theological beliefs, then he has deceived you into basically holding false theological beliefs. So there. A squared, B squared equals C squared. Uh, so yeah. therefore, he's a deity of deception because he gave you beliefs about himself that are untrue. So he deceived you. And yeah. Yeah. people have people don't like that, but <laughs> there is some there is truth there. Um, I know you could probably unpack that for a while. I'm just kind of giving you that uh, people the bird's eye view. Uh, you can check out a lot of Dr. Stratton's work on this stuff. And kind of like with with me when it comes to this, like that's why I thought it was a, an effective argument because it attacks what I think it, it reveals the problem with bad theology. And I would argue that Calvinism is bad theology. And I know people can get upset with me, and I, but they already know that if you're a normal member of the church split, I think Calvinism is a bad theology. I don't dislike Calvinists, though. I just don't think it's a good good framework. But it also, exposes I still think they're bad. saved. What? A lot of people put words in my mouth and saying, you're saying, well, so what you're saying is that Calvinists aren't saved. And no, I have never said that. In fact, I have said the opposite. But people love to put words in my mouth and uh, and attack straw men. But uh, no, I love Calvinists. Um, and I think they're my brothers in Christ and that they're saved. But I still think it's bad theology. It's wrong. But guess what? You guys think that about me. Right. And I don't think you're doubting my salvation. Um, so let's just keep moving forward. We need each other to sharpen each other like iron. And what I say is let's stop attacking each other, but let's attack the arguments. That's how, that's how iron sharpens iron. But what I'm really frustrated about is there's so much attack on the person. And when somebody is devoting their life to taking a person down, an arguer down and not their argument, then I'll just say this, you have crossed the line and you are in sin. You are sinning, right? And you, and you need to rethink some things. But anyway, what were you going to say? Yeah, no, I was, yeah, absolutely. So I just thought that these things were helpful. So um, any of our normal listeners who love apologetics, I would definitely recommend checking out his article, J.P. Moreland, checking out some of his other articles. He did a recent uh, article just called, um, I think, like Freethinking Argument for Beginners or something like that. Yeah. Um, and so go check all those out. It'll help you. Uh, it's helped me even just in having conversations with non-believers in my 
my personal ministry where I can just sit down and talk to somebody. And I have heard that. Well, you know, the problem is that you're, Will, you're indoctrinated. You grew up in the church. You know, I've become a free thinker. And I hear that all the time. Atheists say that they're a free thinker. And I'm like, oh, it will be like, hold on, hold up, hold up, hold up. And even because a lot of them love like Sam Harris. And I love pointing out that Dr. Sam Harris even wrote a book, The Illusion of the Will. So I think his book was called Free Will. And in that book, he talks about how we don't have free will. Okay. Right. Yeah. Did he yeah. write one called yeah. The Illusion of the Will? I thought well? it was Illusion of the Will. I could find well, I can fact check I'm that. With and that I've quoted quite a bit. It's just called Free Will. And in it, he's clear that we're not free thinkers. He says thoughts and intentions arise from uh prior conditions over which we are unaware and over which we have no control. We are not responsible for basically what comes up into our head. Uh not a direct oh, You are correct. <laughs> Yeah. You are correct. It is just free will, but he talks about the illusion of the will. Okay. Yeah, right, right, um, right. All right, cool. I'm sorry. I had to fact check that for a minute. All yeah. right. So then, the, so kind of with that said, um, I think the free thinking argument is valid and you can tweak it to however you might want to use it. But as a theist, if you're not a non-determinist and, uh, and you believe in free will, it's a good argument. You can tweak it however you want it. People, one of the things that drives me crazy in general um, when I work with people is once in a while in the academic world or in this online apologetics sphere and philosophical sphere is that people will have a tendency to pick apart your work words and uh, they get very, they play semantical word games. They like to do that sort of thing. It drives me nuts because I feel like it just kind of removes the charity out of the room. Uh, mm-hmm. And instead of just understanding me where I'm at and you understand what I'm saying, if I'm communicating to you effectively, you know what I'm saying. You can say, yeah. well, I think a more accurate way would probably be say this, but I see what you're saying. Like you could at least acknowledge right. that you get my mm-hmm. point. Yeah. Um, it just drives me nuts. It's a, it's not a good faith way to acknowledge people. And sometimes if you get too, like, if you get too much into that, uh, that game, it can also really muddy the waters where everyone forgets what they're arguing about. Cause you're arguing over terminology rather than ideas. Right. So, um, oh, anyway, yeah. it drives me nuts. Uh, mm-hmm. so now one of the things I think that you, and I have in common is one, both being youth pastors. I'm a youth pastor at One Life Church. Uh, you know, I go to the same church as Braxton and Jonathan Pritchett now. Um, so I'm their youth pastor at their church. And uh, I've done Try youth to keep ministry those for- guys in line. Try to Someone's keep those got to. I know. Just... Have you tried to keep Pritchett in line, dude? <laughs> oh, yeah. That's, a, that's impossible, I think. <laughs> yeah, it's literally like a bulldog with with rabies. So, um, so <laughs> but what's, what's funny? I mean, if you, look, Pritchett and I love each other, right? I mean, like, I think the dude, I think he'd die for me, even if you know. <laughs> but but what's funny is uh, watch my last last time they had me on their show. I tried to uh, talk about what I mean by Christian nationalism and why I think it's good. Um, now I mean something different than what. A lot of people me, but anyway, Pritchett and I, he's interviewing me, him and Braxton, but Pritchett was like constantly disagreeing with me. And it was kind of, it's kind of fun. And you'll see he and I, we have two guys that just love each other, willing to die for each other. And we're like fighting, you know, he's my boss. And I'm like, ah, you know, and, uh, but what I love about that is that demonstrates how, man, you can, you can disagree with somebody. You think they're so wrong without attacking their scholarship or attacking their character or attacking their intellect. I mean, we were, we were arguing over the ideas and doing it passionately while still loving each other. And I never doubted. I got frustrated. I think he did too, but I never doubted his respect for me, you know, so, anyway. 100%. 
and that's actually really important because actually me and uh, Pritchett, we got together, hung out Monday night and I was having to explain some of his positions on things that I'm like, I'm not sure if I'm there yet, um, but can you explain this to me? And then I had, I was like, okay. And then I mentioned the atonement thing. Uh, and he goes, Will, you're so wrong on that. I was like, no, JP, you're wrong. And he goes, no, Will, you're so wrong. You don't even know how wrong you are. And we just start getting, go back and forth. Then he just goes on a tirade on on Greek and cultural context. And I was just more like, it's just really funny to get him rolling. Uh, but one of the things is, like, I texted him afterwards. Like, hey, man, I also really do appreciate the fact that you're willing to push back, that we have a good friendship. Yeah. And that's like, that's a sign of a good charitable relationship with somebody where I could strongly mm. disagree with you and still love you. And uh, I got your back, you know, and I know he has mine and he has done great things and that for me and my family already personally. And it's like we can disagree on stuff or also he might show me where I'm wrong and I need to be willing to go, hey, he might have a point. I could be wrong. And so right. that's all really important stuff now. But the problem is to kind of get to the next part of what I wanted to talk about. So we've talked about your free thinking, the free thinking argument that you've kind of like uh, championed. Uh, and we've talked about this importance of being able to respectfully disagree. But the problem is that recently, um, now it was funny is how the timing kind of worked with this. Uh, on our yeah. website, thechurchsplit.com, uh, me and a friend of mine, Chris Stockman, posted an article uh, saying a declaration of war on young apologists. And yeah. we've been working on this probably for about three-ish months. He, I don't know, he texted me right before, I, like right around the time I moved to indiana and was like hey i want to do this because it's driving me nuts there's these people and he had a very particular people in his mind and mm -hmm. then i finally got to it because again i just moved across states getting used to a new job and i finally one night was working on it at midnight and then finished it up the next day and i was like all right i wrote my thoughts you review it then we've just published it but the like two days after we published it there was a video uh two days before we published it or something like that and along that weekend um, David Pullman uh, did post a video critiquing your free thinking argument. And so what ended up happening is that when I released our article, people thought I was responding to David Pullman. Now, here's what's funny is people who didn't know me from Adam and didn't know David has been at my house. Like I've hosted David before. Uh, I've had David on the channel multiple times. Uh, whenever I find him being insufferable, I send him a very rude text and him and I just banter back and forth with that. I mean, it's one of those things where I'm like, no, no, it's not like I'm attacking anyone in particular, but I wanted to make sure we talked about it a little, like not necessarily David Paulman's response to you, but I just know that David, that one video is just one of the many series of videos and responses you've been that have been responded to your argument and to other apologists like Frank Turek. Like we even had Spart, I don't know if he's still in here, but we had Spartan Theology earlier in this uh, in this episode. Let's see if there it is. Uh, when you said that you posted that book in honor of Frank Turek and he said in honor of Frank Turek, LOL, and he's kind of scoffing at it. And that's kind of what we're talking about is this attitude of, I'm going to scoff at people who are making arguments that I don't think are as effective or I don't really like. And this what this really comes down to for me is that there's and the reason why we posted the article is because there's a real issue with people who are more academic, who really want to go after what I would call popular level apologists or even people who might, you might just disagree. Like, I think David isn't like he doesn't look at you. At least I hope he doesn't look at you as just a standard popular apologist. I think you have oh, I like think you said, he does see me that way. Okay. All right. It seems to me that he does. Uh, okay. Some of the things he's doing. I mean, that's, it's uh, very so. possible. I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, 
but the, my point is here is like, cause you've done both, you know, you, you know, you talked about how you tread both waters and as mm-hmm. somebody who does similar work where I'm constantly like over here and like reading philosophical academic books or whatever. And then I have to bring over here to normal people. I always try to think of the normal person and it's, yeah. the snobs can pick me apart all they want. I don't really care. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but the point is, is I want to talk a little bit about the importance of popular apologetics and why people kind of need to cool their jets on this whole thing uh, and why popular apologetics is important. Because even though you're an academic, I mean, you are I, anyone who says otherwise is fooling themselves. When someone when someone has a Ph.D., a DRS, a Th.D., whatever is is it, we can call them an academic, whether you agree with them or not, is the big thing. Right. Um, so you're an academic, whether you like it or not, even though you're literally the coolest academic I know, because, you know, youth pastor done, you done like MMA, uh, you live everyone's best life. So you're cool. Yeah. At least I know if you can, if you lose the argument, you can win the fight. You know what I'm saying? So <laughs> <laughs> give them the chair. Yeah. Uh, but, right. uh, so yeah, well, I just no, I was just going to say that uh, somebody on Facebook or something was saying, Tim, you can't be publishing academic articles and be in a and be a country rock star and compete in three guns uh, and, you know, be an MMA fighter and coach and, you know, <laughs> be married to a supermodel. Yeah, I, I am. Uh, <laughs> um, you, know, <laughs> you know, so, uh, you know, that's just kind of funny stuff. But yeah, I do. I do like to. I you know, I think a lot of these things, um, you know, trying to be involved in regular everyday things or, you know, where real people are, I find that, you know, the fact that I play bass in a country rock band lets me have a platform to do ministry that is so cool. You know, every night that we play, uh, my, the lead singer talks about how his bass player is a theologian and he can, he would love to answer any of your tough questions about God after the show and the place just so many people come up to me and usually I have questions on the problem of evil, some, you know, something related to that, or, uh, you know, I just love going where real people are and doing ministry there and take, trying to take the big ideas, you know, that that I've been writing about with JP Moreland and bringing it to them, trying to rephrase things so they can get it. And, uh, just, that's what drives me. What's, what's, uh, Trinity Radio saying here, Dr. Uh, he said, Dr. Stratton was awesome in his recent debate. Proud to have him on at Trinity College and Seminary. And uh, I'll even say, Pritchett, um, he said that you won and dominated your recent debate. So he he gave you some major compliments. Hey, there we go. Dr. Stratton was awesome. <laughs> hey, thanks for the uh, super chat there. I'm guessing that's Braxton. Uh, I think he's normally the one behind the Trinity Radio. So thanks, Braxton, for the $10, bro. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. so this is, so yeah, anyway, so we kind of, so you had this response and I think the, and I texted you, uh, oh yeah, it is Braxton. Okay, cool. I'm just going to keep that up there for a minute because now <laughs> finally I'm getting some of my tuition back. Uh, <laughs> um, so, uh, anyhow, so the reason I want to talk about a little bit is cause you were in, you were in, uh, Mexico and now what's funny is that I feel like because of the reason why I got into apologetics and theology was because of ministry. I wanted to do boots on the ground ministry, helping people where they're at. And I realized I really needed to get 
to know what some of the academic literature says in order for me to have better responses. And I'm going yeah. somewhere with this, so bear with me. So what I ended up doing is when I got into this world, uh, like yourself, I kind of started getting through this stuff and through the back door. And people like you and Braxton just give me a chance to have the platform after I've done a lot of study and continue to study. And what ended up happening was I started seeing value in a lot of other people's work. And I didn't always agree with them. Like, you know, I, I there's areas, uh, me and David Palman, for example, agree immensely. Then there's areas we wildly disagree. And uh, I think him and I were at my house, like arguing to like one or two in the morning on the moral argument. It was ridiculous. I mean, we were just like, bickering about it. And then we we're just yelling at each other and we we're just having a good time with it. But at the same time, it was a lot of fun. Uh, but so when I did that, I started seeing a lot of value, you know, even when I saw like, okay, I saw Lydia McGrew's approach to the Gospels and I saw Mike Lycona's group and I saw a lot of the tension between those two groups who are like arguing over the methodologies. But I started going, well, there's value here. This person's got a good point and then this person's got a good point and there's ways you can marry these points uh, to kind of make a stronger, robust argument. But there's a lot of like kind of stone throwing at each other. And it kind of bothers me. That's why I want to talk to you about it, because I felt like you've recently, not only with Paulman, because I texted you and you're in Mexico and you're like, I'm on vacation. I was like, never mind. I'll yeah. get to this video. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, yeah, the reason I even became aware of it is because, yeah, I'm sitting by the pool with my wife, um, just, you know, soaking up the sun, knowing, hey, all my friends in Nebraska are freezing cold right now. And I, I'm enjoying the rays, you know, <laughs> by the way, it's just been blizzarding like crazy here. I'm like digging myself out constantly, but, um, but, uh, yeah, I had my phone next to me and it lit up and it's you. And you, I think you took a screenshot and you showed me that and I'm like, oh man. And so I'm like, oh, let me take a look at this really quick. And I'm like, oh, now I got to deal with this. So I had a, a couple, you know, a couple short windows of opportunity to interact a little bit. Um, typing with my thumbs the whole time. And uh, finally, uh, you know, my, my, uh, my friend who was, you know, we were with uh, another couple, who, you know, my, one of my board members, and he's just like, dude, um, stop it. Think about that when you get home, you know? <laughs> like, ah, all right, you're right, you're right. So it's, uh, so, hard. it's so hard 30. for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. so hard for me to do that when I'm on vacation to, to unplug away from like that sort yeah. of thing. And, yeah. you know, uh, so that happened. And, you know, I, again, so I can love David Pollan, but I think he's greatly wrong on this. And I think he's wrong on his critiques. I thought, and I'll be honest, I didn't think the critiques were even that strong. I didn't think they were that good. And again, I can say that I'm a friend of David's. But uh, it was funny because a lot of people thought my article was like geared toward him. And I was like, because of that. And I was like, no, actually, this was Chris Stockman's axe to grind. And I disagreed with him. And his was actually, he pulled quotes that were directly from other people. And people yeah. thought it was like aimed at David. I was like, actually, it wasn't aiming at David at all during this. I'm just That's working just a on weird this article. Timing thing. That is a weird timing thing. Huh? It was a weird timing thing. And, uh, and then it got shared around a lot. It's actually our most read, uh, written blog. One of the things that criticism we got on it was actually that there was a, too much, like, He's like, well, this is a rhetoric. I'm like, yeah, it's hyperbole, dude. It's a blog. It's not a journal article. Like, this is right, just, right. <laughs> this is two bros just being like, hey, knock it off. Not, I mean, did you uh -huh. want me to do premise, premise conclusions? I mean, I <laughs> guess we could, but I think you're kind of defeating, yeah. defeats the purpose yeah. of the point. So, let's let's talk about let's talk about that for a minute. Um, so, what what do do you find value in popular apologetics and if so why and do you think that some people who are want to be more like some of these other people are need to cool they just need to cool their jets oh yeah uh i mean so 
my first step into what I'm doing today was through popular apologetics. And that's what I needed. When I was an unequipped youth pastor in 2008, and a 16-year-old was bringing me arguments that he got from Sam Harris and Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens and, you know, fill in the blank with your favorite atheist. Uh, I didn't know how to answer those. Um, and so I started, I started Googling how to answer tough questions. William Lane Craig was one of the first ones that came up in my Google search. So I started trying to read his stuff. And at that point, even though he does pop level work at that stuff for me, it was going over my head. I went, I went out and bought reasonable faith. I read the first two chapters and, I, and it took me forever to get th through those two chapters. I remember I was like, ah, I am not, I'm really struggling, especially when I got to the third chapter, I felt like I just, I couldn't do it. Um, so then I, I went back and I, I found stuff from uh, JP Moreland. Some of his stuff was more understandable than others. Uh, but then I found Frank Turek. And I, I could, I could, I was tracking with what he was saying and I studied his stuff so much and read his stuff and watched his videos, things like that, that it, that got me to a point where then I could go to Dr. Craig and start to understand his stuff. And then I started listening. I remember at that point then, I mean, so all these guys work together. So you had, you had the academics like JP and, and Bill Craig, who also try to take their stuff down. At, at times, but they, they live in, <laughs> in academia. Um, and then you had guys like Frank Turek and Sean McDowell was a big one. Brett Kunkel, who has wound up kind of being a, my boss because I work with Maven too. Shout out to Maven. I was watching Brett Kunkel's stuff at the time before I even knew him and learning from him. And he's got a master's degree in philosophy uh, as well from, from Biola. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm learning from the guys that are doing pop level stuff. And then what they're, what they were doing for me, they were equipping me. They were like, you know, doing, doing your, the one Oh one stuff. So I could graduate and start to understand what Dr. Craig was talking about in reasonable faith. And then Dr. Craig came out with on guard, which was supposed to be more pop level, kind of uh, pop level, reasonable faith book. And I remember at that point, I flew through it. I'm like, oh, I get it. I get everything here. And so, man, God uses both. But you can't start out with uh, Richard Swinburne. You know, <laughs> you can't start out. I, I mean, Seriously. I can't even start out. <laughs> What's that? Yeah. Yeah. So um, we've got to have the popularizers. It's one reason why I love working with Tim Fox. Um, Timothy Fox, he's, uh, you know, he co-authored uh, the the study guide to mere Molinism with me and and uh, we've got, we've started laying out the, um, you know, we've, we've planned out the, a book that we're going to write together that is going to be pop level. Cause we want to really equip the people in the pews, um, and not just have debates with people who take uh, philosophy seriously on Facebook. Um, but let me, let me read to you the first footnote of the chapter I wrote in this book, uh, Faith Examine, New Arguments for Persistent Questions, Essays in Honor of Dr. Frank Turek. <clears throat> it's going to be hard for me to read because I don't have my glasses with me. Um, but let's see if I can do it here. Uh, footnote number one. <laughs> A note of thanks is owed. You know it's bad when you're like doing this so you can read it. <laughs> <laughs> I used to, a couple of years ago, I could just read it like this. Now it's just a blur. But okay, if I do this. <laughs> A note, 
A note of thanks is owed to Dr. Frank Turek for his commitment to apologetics and systematic theology. As an unequipped youth pastor suddenly confronted with a wave of atheism crashing upon my youth group in 2008, Turek's work was some of the first apologetics material I found on the internet. At the time, I often found the work of Craig and Moreland, for example, to be too difficult for my uninitiated mind to grasp. Frank Turek, however, has a gift for taking the material scholars discuss and translating it, making it accessible for beginners, and prepared me for academia. Indeed, Frank Turek opened the door for me to a larger world in which I eventually earned a PhD in theology. Since those early days, my journey into my journey into apologetics, Frank Turek has taken me under his wing and helped me in both my ministry and in my personal life. I am indebted to Frank Turek and his ministry and am thankful for his friendship. So, yeah, don't, we can't, I think your words, cannibalize the popularizers. We're a body of Christ. We need people playing different roles. And if you don't realize that, then that means that you are immature and not ready for ministry in the first place. Uh, the body of Christ, everybody plays a different role. You've got to, to use war and military language. You've got people on the front lines. You've got then the people that are delivering the ammo and the weapons and the food to the front lines. You've got then the people that are cooking the food and making the ammo and making the way, you know, doing what it takes to get the, the stuff there forming the, uh, to the people that are, that are going to deliver it. You've got the generals, you've got the privates, you've got everybody in between. And you can't all be a five-star general, right? And, and if you don't realize that, then that exposes your immaturity. And you need to probably back off and grow up a little bit before you get into this game. I agree. And that's actually one of the things that drives me uh, personally up the wall is the fact that so, OK, I am I am not known to have a lot of subtlety. <laughs> I, I I speak kind of what I think and I'm not. But my, it drives my I think my wife crazy sometimes because she's like a way more like behind the scenes person. I'm always find my way in the front scenes. And it's not like I even actively seek it out. It just kind of happens. And uh, but one of the things I like, I have that. And then when I was at a church, the church I was at previously, when I was a teaching elder, there was a lot of this weird thing where suddenly my skill set was looked down upon by certain people because they didn't like it. They thought it was bringing too much contention to the church because we were like, I was like, well, we're going to talk about these issues. But at the same time, though, I was like, I had to be careful myself because there's a few times I was frustrated and I was just like, why don't these people understand with the importance of what I'm doing? And then I had to realize, like, well, that's just because their gifting is different. Yeah. And they play a different role in this church than I do. Mm -hmm. And I just need them to, and I eventually, you know, just talk to some people. I was like, I just need, I don't, I'm not asking you to understand it. I'm not asking you to get my passion. I just need you to understand that it's necessary yeah. and that there's a role for me here. And uh, it really helped. And there is an immaturity aspect there when people don't respect people's work. Because people like Frank Turek, same with me. I, I love when you said that because I, I, when I was talking to some of these people, they're like, no, you know, Bill Craig has got very accessible, popular level stuff. I'm like, I've told people, if you start with On Guard, you will still be confused because what he does is in a great book. It's a great book once you're familiar with some of the concepts. But all his books start off kind of technical. And I mean, all of the chapters in that book start off technical and then he simplifies. He starts technical, then he simplifies. 
And if you're new, that can be very challenging. Mm-hmm. I've heard other people say they should get go to uh, Joshua Rasmussen's book, How Reason Can Lead to God. Yeah. And I'm familiar with this stuff, and it's a great book. But at the same time, I was like, only certain people will be able to pick this up and read it and understand the concepts he's talking about. So whether you like it or not, Dr. Turek um, knows what he's doing because he's a good communicator. Now, yeah. does he? Do I always agree with him? No, but I'm not going to always, always agree, agree with anybody with me either. Yeah, no. <laughs> I don't always agree with Dr. Craig or even J.P. Moreland. Uh, J.P. and I, I, I had some stuff that I wasn't stuff that he added to the paper. I was like, mm, don't know if I, if I agree with that, but. Uh, you know, very minimal things, but, you know, but Dr. Craig and JP did philosophical foundations for a Christian worldview. And they still to this day disagree on the uh, abstract object uh, topic. So um, you're not always going to agree. There's nobody that you, that I can think of that I agree with across the board, but you do have to find the folks that you're like, yeah, okay. I agree with you most of the time. I even look at when I disagree with James White, and John Piper on a whole bunch of stuff. But when they get things right, I sing their praises. And I've shared Dr. White's videos before. I'm like, hey, guys, you know, I put it on Facebook uh, one time when I saw him go is speaking to a, a judge or somebody on abortion issues. And I was like, whoa, he hit, hit it out of the park, right? Uh, there's going to be folks that I agree with um, most of the time, but disagree with some of the things and people that I disagree with on a lot of things but find things I do agree with. One thing you'll never find from me, and if you ever see this from me, hold me accountable. I will never go after a person. I've never gone after and tried to end James White's ministry or John Piper's. I'm so thankful. What is in Philippians where Paul's talking about people preaching with bad motives or you know something like that. He's like, hey, but I praise God they're, they're doing it anyway. I do. I praise God uh, for, for James White. I think he gets some things really wrong that, that are important. And I think he reaches some dangerous conclusions. But I look at what he's doing. He's doing overall, great stuff. Praise God for James White. Um, praise God for John Piper. If it wasn't for John Piper, I wouldn't be married today. Because I read his book as a Calvinist called Don't Waste Your Life. One of the chapters was called uh, To Risk is Right. And I was like a disciple of John Piper at the time. And I see this beautiful girl that's way out of my league. And I was like, I got to take that risk to risk is right. John Piper said it. I'm going to ask this girl to go on a date. Next thing I know we're married. Right. So (laughs) praise God for John Piper. Right. Even though I think he gets some things horribly wrong, you'll never see me trying to cancel somebody. Paul wouldn't do it. Even to the people that were preaching with wrong motives. He's like, Hey, you want to cancel these guys? No, I praise God for them. Even if they've got, uh, wrong motives. Don't cancel the person. Go go after what they're saying. Go after their arguments. When James White gets something wrong, I'm going to tell people why it's wrong, right? But don't go after the person. I, I you've never seen me. James White doesn't even have a PhD. Now he is working on one from the same place that I graduated from. Um, but he is a doctor. He does have a doctorate. You've never seen me say, oh, well, he must be a really rotten person deep down on the inside. And I, I know his true character. No, I'm not going to do that. But I'll tell you what, that's common with these young apologists. They they are the ones who know the true character of the people they disagree with. And, and they've got to cancel these people because they're really dangerous for, for the world, you know. Well, you know, who made them the arbiters, first of all? <laughs> and number, you know. 
just it's read scripture. How, what do, what would Paul do here? Um, well, I mean, there's also like a wisdom to it too, which is like yeah. there's friendly fire, right? And yeah. I mean, we're the church split. We stir the pot. I mean, I <laughs> I would we'll stir, stir the pot. Yeah, but don't attack right. people's character, scholarship, uh, intellect. Go after the argument and love the right. person. And, and then also to that point, though, there's this whole like when you're expecting popular apologists or people who are just trying to communicate on YouTube to a general audience mm -hmm. to be as technical as possible all the time and always be in the deep well of academia. Look, that's valid. I will never say academia is bad. But the problem is with that is my goal in this ministry and my public ministry or my ministry here at this church mm -hmm. is that to reach people. So if my methodology of being super, 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 super deep and technical isn't as effective with reaching people, then mm -hmm. I'm going to change my methodology. So one of the reasons why I think popularizers are important as well is because they are good communicators. Yeah. Most of the people I know who are extremely academic actually struggle at being a very good communicator. Mm -hmm. uh, now, they might speak very technically, and they think that's good communication, but good communication is more than speaking technically. It's speaking engaging. It's speaking with clarity that a normal person or an academic can listen to and understand what you're trying to say. Yeah. There is a needle that needs to be threaded there, and I am, I'm thankful that, honestly, I was a pastor kind of before I got into that because I could see myself easily being one of those guys mm -hmm. Who would critique? I can, I do. I know that would be my nature, and I'm glad I was a pastor beforehand, where I had to deal with a lot of like people from different levels of life in general, yeah. and also having to preach every week. And there'd be certain weeks I'd hear, Pastor Will, you know, I heard you were trying. I didn't understand what you're trying to say there, and understanding how that works. Um. So wait, what what do you say, Nick? You know, you love my ability to speak and communicate, Pastor Theologian. <laughs> yes, I know. Uh, so <laughs> I do know. But that is actually, and that that's also kind of my hunch. And I can't say this with every single person because like, um, and I'm not saying this like with David Palman or whatever, because I, I know he he's involved where he's at. But um, one of the things is, is like a lot of these people, I think that are that way that a critique popular apologists and do a lot of this stuff are actually not as involved in boots on the ground ministry. They're just not mm -hmm. a lot of people I know who critique you aren't, you don't teach a Bible study class. You do not teach to the average person. Cause I think of the, there's some families. I, I there's a guy I talked to, uh, Steve, I won't say his last name, but he texts me and I, he has like six kids. Like, and he works a job. And he's like, I'd love to read the stuff, but I don't have time. And I'm like, yeah, because you're first called to be a father, right? You know, and so, but when you're sitting there, like, oh, psh, you know what, Will, you shouldn't speak that simply. You are overly simplifying a situation. Be, and it's like, so people who have six kids and are running around working 50 hours a week as well yeah. and trying to serve in the church, they don't, they, they don't deserve to be treated with dignity and respect and communicated to on some of this information. Yeah. Is it only a thing for people in ivory towers? That's right. these are the things that bother me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. You know, you you talk about. So my mom uh, was a Spanish teacher forever, and and she, uh, her, the first kind of Spanish she learned was like the the Spanish that would be taught at universities in Spain, right? So this the, the academic uh, 
Spanish and from Spain, you know, right? But then she learned when she went to Mexico to do mission trips down there, it's a completely different kind of Spanish. And so she also learned street language in Mexico. Now, if she went down to Mexico to try to do ministry and would use the academic Spanish from Spain, she's not going to communicate to very many people. So she had to learn how to speak street Mexican Spanish. And, and she did. And so when she, you know, she's retired now, but when she was teaching, she would, she would teach both versions. Like this is the technically accurate way to speak Spanish. This is how they speak in real life. Right. <laughs> so, um, so it's, uh, it's that kind of thing. And apologetics and theology is the same kind of thing. There's technical language. Um, that's why when I co-author academic journals, um, since I am, since I did get into this through the back door, I, I always try to co-author with a, a PhD uh, philosopher who went through the front door <laughs> and has been there for a while um, because I am so used to speaking uh, street level <laughs> that uh, if I'm going to publish an academic uh, journal article, I, I want to co-author. Um, and so, so far, that's what I've done. I've got multiple, I don't know how many now, four, maybe. Uh, and each one's been co-authored. Uh, and although I've written most of them, right? Uh, most most of the writing, I've, at least probably two thirds of each one has been written by me, but it's been tweaked and gone through the, the process of, <laughs> a lot of I'll, I'll say, can you help me depopularize this? Um, so yeah, that's just the world I live in. I try to go back and forth and be a good communicator on both ends. And that's why I also try to take my ideas to, uh, to conferences. You know, I just uh, today I'm uh, applying to go speak at another philosophy conference. Um, so I take these. I want to advance these ideas by PhD philosophers who live in, that, in those ivory towers and have them push back. I've been doing this for a few years now. And then I also go and talk to the real person in the street, you know, and I, you know, I, I lead these Maven trips with uh, teenagers four to five weeks a year with four to five different groups a year. And we take them to Salt Lake city, or we take them to Boulder, Colorado, or we take them to Santa Cruz, California, take them to New York city and Washington DC and Northern Arizona, you know, or the, the, the new age stuff is big. You know, we, that, that, you know, what I find so much joy in is equipping the teenagers to, to know how to even interact with academics who are going to come after their faith. So when they go to college and their professors, I mean, we, we hire, we pay atheists, some well-known atheists, some academic atheists, um, some popularizer atheists we, uh, from Ben Watkins to Aaron Rizzieri to our good friend Richard Suttles, uh, known as the Faithiest Atheist. We pay these guys to come in. You know, uh, I'd call Richard uh, a, a popularizer when it comes to atheism, but he's a smart guy. I mean, you should hear hear the conversations we have behind. You know, when the cameras aren't rolling, right? I mean, the dude works for Homeland Security or something like that, Department of Defense, one or two. Um, I mean, you got to be smart to have that job. <laughs> he saves our lives like every day. Who knows? <laughs> um, but uh, um, then we bring in Ben Watkins, uh, who is a deep thinker. Uh, then uh, Aaron Rizzieri, who's a PhD philosopher. Um, you know, and we we 
pay these guys to then interact with the students. But we're we're equipping the students with with uh, what probably a lot of folks would call pop level. But then we expose them to guys like Aaron Ruzieri, you know. So, um, but you, you need both. So anyway, I love to work with the teenagers. I love to work with the real. I, I run every week. I teach something in my hometown called Art and Apologetics at a local art studio. And we start out talking about objectively good art. You know, when when is beauty in the subjective or when is beauty in the eye of the subjective beholder? And when can we talk about objectively good and bad art? And does it point to God? You know, and how does, you know, th those conversations are so much fun. There's aesthetic oughts that we ought not violate. Right. Um, and then. But then we get into apologetics. We'll talk about the scientific evidence that points to the existence of God. And but this is all all done at a pop level where people that have never heard the word apologetics before can come in and learn. And uh, I just love doing that stuff. And then I love saying, OK, guys, I'm going to go dive back into these academic waters for a while and do that, too. So I try to do both. And I'm definitely not perfect at both, but I try to swim in both waters. But I would say this, if you got somebody that is on, that only considers them to be the elite academic and you find this a lot with people who are technically not academics, right? They don't have letters behind their names, but they want to consider themselves as the best, deepest thinkers in the world. They're usually some of the most dangerous. Um, but, and honestly, when I first started getting into this, as when I was still a youth pastor, and I thought, oh, you know what? The stuff I'm learning right now at Biola, I'm going to take that to the seventh graders that I'm working with. I learn from mistakes. But, but working with real people, is a quick teacher for you, for people, for, for those that want to communicate. And I learned quickly, that's not going to work. Have to communicate to the senior in high school different than the seventh grader. Um, and, and so anyway, I don't know where I'm, I'm going with the, all this, but there, there's an art to both. I'm still learning on how to do it well and each on each side of this thing, but that is the goal. And so we shouldn't attack each other for trying to swim in both waters, um, we should encourage each other. And if you're if you're only the academic, if you're considering yourself to be the academic, but you're not doing real life ministry, you should probably take a break and go get into go serve your church for a while. Go 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 be a youth group volunteer for a couple of years, and then come back, and and we'll see how things have changed for you. You'll have a right. whole new perspective. Oh, well, and that's kind of that's exactly my thing. So like. We, last night, we just kicked off. Uh, we're going through the problem of evil in our youth group by, per their request. I always pull whenever I'm at a youth group. I'm always like, hey, what do you guys want to study? And I put all these different things out that are possibilities. Problem of evil one. We did a kickoff. And I mean, this is going to be the only youth group who probably is, knows about William Rose Fawn argument by the time yeah, we're right. done. Because we're going to be, I, I, I'm going to get to the logical argument, the evidential argument from evil. And how is an internal critique of the Christian worldview? We talked about some of that last night. And it was a big hit. But at the same time, like I was like, all right, here's these complicated words. This is what it means. This is how it, how you got apply it. Then like, oh, okay. And I got well, the feedback I got actually from one of our seventh graders was, I really like how this isn't d super dumbed down. I'm kind of tired of like, oh, we're going to go through the Gospel yeah. of Matthew again. You know, right. this is like real stuff. And I'm like, she's like, you're you being technical, but then you're making me helping us understand it, and. Which is really cool to hear that from uh, from a, a young seventh grader. But yeah. the issue here is that there's a lot of people who don't know 
how to communicate well to people, how to teach people who are not familiar with these these waters. Now, you might the reason why you might struggle with that is because you have always been interested in these kinds of waters. So you don't understand how people don't get it because even the very process of you gaining that information is lost on you because it was something mm-hmm. you're always interested in. Kind yeah. of like I don't know I've always been a comic book and sci-fi nerd. I don't know how anyone cannot be because I am that, and I don't understand why people are interested in things that they're interested in that I have zero interest in, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, maybe that comes natural to you, and that's okay. But also you have to remember that that's not everybody. And so how do you get someone caught up to speed? Well, that's where someone like Turek comes around. That's where someone mm-hmm. like um, William Lane Craig uh, at his entry level stuff can come come in uh, come in handy. I mean, there's even like what I've done with people before. Even is like, okay, I am not a presuppositionalist. I think presupp is trash. Uh, I'm an mm-hmm. evidentialist, um, but I will have them listen to someone like Jeff Durbin talk to somebody on the street and get them to try to justify morality. And I'm like, now, and just so that way people start getting their head wrapped around the concept of what's being argued for. Because when you're talking like some of this stuff, like free will and morality and meaning and reason, these are all metaphysical, not, it's not tangible. I can't pick it up like I could pick up my phone, right? So you got to get people at least to wrap their minds around it. Popular level apologetics is important. And this elitism that we see, whether you're an academic or not, like whether you got letters behind your name or not, the elitism can be a real problem. Um, Because and I, I think of somebody like uh, Steve Gregg, who technically is not like a doctor, a doctor, at least in my to my understanding. But, yeah, he is extremely smart and he's very mm-hmm. academic. And I wouldn't. Uh, in fact, uh, it looks like uh, Nick Quint was saying in the comments he's going to be debating him on women in ministry. And he's like, he's, and he like already admits defeat in here. He's like, so I uh, want to debate me and pick up the pieces <laughs> after he's done. Cause he's academic, even though he doesn't have the letters. But if you so there's don't. A, let's make a distinction between being an official academic and being acting in academic, academic ways, right? So that's right. like er, everybody's a philosopher. The question is, are you a are professional you philosopher? I, I, I am clear right. that I am not a PhD philosopher. People say, well, you're still a philosopher. I'm like, well, so are you. Everybody is. Everybody thinks philosophically. The question is, are you doing it right? Are you doing it well or not? Right. Right. But I am not a professional philosopher. I am a theologian. I'm a PhD theologian. Um, uh, And everybody's a theologian, even if you don't have a PhD behind your name. Everybody has thoughts about God. The question is, are you a good theologian or a bad one? And uh, so when you say academic... I want to say, okay, there's folks who consider themselves and try to act in an academic manner, but who are not professional academics. Does that make sense? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I mean, that's why we even have, that's even why we have different levels of degrees, right? Associates, bachelor's, master's, doctoral work. Um, That's because there's different levels of understanding things. And there's, and certain people, like, they're just really good learners. They're the best autodidacts on the planet that sometimes are smarter, no more than people with their degrees. Mm-hmm. I, I understand that there's there's yeah. there's always exceptions to rules, but we're talking about rules, not exceptions, right? That, that is the, there is always exceptions to rules, but yeah. yes, there are, there's going to be a big difference between someone who does it professionally, literally as their job, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, who's been doing it for 20 years versus somebody who does it as a hobby. Well, um, I think, I think okay. you can see, I, I think 
this was clear in my debate with Alex Malpass. I consider him to be an academic and a, and a philosopher. You know, he's a, he is a PhD philosopher. And I think this was just, uh, I mean, the manner in which you look at some of these young apologists and they are just jerks and they call themselves Christians, just jerks. Uh, but when I'm interacting with uh, uh, Alex Malpass, I was like, man, this guy's cool. This guy's nice. He's relaxed. He's he's uh, never attacking my character, um, never attacking my scholarship. We just had a good conversation. And when we were off air, it was even better. You know, <laughs> so, right. so uh, you know, and I'm like, okay, there's an academic, right? You're People that are, I think, oftentimes autodact autodidacts and then only get their interaction on Facebook. I mean, talk about cage stage and, and that's not just Calvinists. I'm just talking I mean, some of the folks you've mentioned are not Calvinists, right? But uh, we're, we're talking cage stage Christianity here. And honestly, I probably used to be one of them, um, but you know, I hopefully have learned along the way and I'm still not perfect. And when I get attacked, sometimes I might throw punches back. Um, I'm not proud of that, uh, right? But I'm still working, still learning. And I know what the goal is. The goal is not to attack each other. It's to attack arguments. But anyway. 100%. So, yeah, no, and I just think, I think that's a really good point. I think these are good things where, again, and that's why for me, I will always, I think it's always important to go, not always looking at what, you know, well, you what's your degree in and the xyz but oftentimes like okay what's the sub what is the substance of what you're saying it does a follow yeah. is it true right, right. you know mm -hmm. that, that's my question always is it true and i because i've learned from people with and without degrees uh but i will definitely pick somebody who i will definitely really sit down and listen to somebody like dr jonathan pritchett who has uh you know his drs and new testament cultural background stuff like mm -hmm. uh, yeah i'm going to when it comes to talking about new testament well i could talk to my my uh, colleague, Brian, right, uh, the co-host of The Church Split, I can talk to him about the New Testament background. But if I'm going to go, hey, who do I want to learn the New Testament background from? It's not going to be Brian. Love you, Brian, but it's not true. But Brian is a computer engineer. Yeah. When I have IT problems, I'm not calling Do Dr. Pritchett. I'm calling <laughs> Brian, right? So understanding some of those things is really helpful going, okay, it's not saying that now doesn't mean that Pritchett is incapable of ever doing IT. Well, if he's someone who he might be very good at it, right? He might be somebody who is very good with computers and it's a hobby of his. Doesn't necessarily mean though that Brian being a network operations manager is probably going to know more still because yeah. he does it. So these are things that are important to understand, uh, being objective. Now, I want to get into some of these questions real fast, but I do think that there is an issue of elitism and cannibalism. People look down on popular apologists for dumb reasons, and they actually are hurting the kingdom, not helping it. Uh, yeah. So um, I did start a few things uh, that from the beginning and to here. Let's see. Nick said, you have any gray in that beard yet? <laughs> Pastoral ministry has given a snowy chin. Uh, no, there's no gray. It's just my lights. I'm not even kidding. There's no, there's no gray in my beard. It's actually got red in it. It's actually very ginger. Uh, I think the I, I've got are... gray. I've got some grays starting to come in. Well, I'm, I'm always fine. Told... That was it, Pritchett, who told me you're 50. I am 50. That is crazy. I hope I look. You're. I'm aging like a raisin, and you're aging like a fine wine, sir. So... Well, if I grew my hair out, you'd uh, 
you'd see I'd look a lot <laughs> older, I think. <laughs> it would reveal itself. Now, my my co-host Brian, he uh he asked uh asked you this. Should we use the term libertarian free will? Since it's a term coined by Calvinists to differentiate differentiate between creaturely free will, not free will, from free uh from real free will, which Calvinists don't think exists. Um you know, I, I guess I am unaware of who coined the term. Um, so if that's true, uh, that, you know, I was today years old at 50 when I learned that. Um, uh, <laughs> I, and, you know, shame on me for not knowing. Um, I just, uh, I, I never actually thought about where did the term, where did, you know, I mean, I knew it was to differentiate between compatibilistic freedom and libertarian freedom. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, I, I use the term. I, I don't like to use the term libertarian free will uh, because I think the term will is confusing uh, because that's your name. Um, well, that's not, <laughs> no, uh, I just say, look, you have libertarian freedom or not. Because we're like, well, what is the will? And that gets us into this big uh, abstract uh, conversation about what is the will. And I'm like, look, whenever you think or act, are you ever the source of your thoughts and actions or not. So I, I just say libertarian freedom um, and determinism. Yeah. So, I mean, I if, if I'm determined, go ahead. Oh, I just oftentimes use the term just for clarity because since there is that compatible, like even if it was a Calvinist that came up with the term, I would use, I still use it. Like, let's say that it wasn't true. Okay, great. But now there's confusion in the waters. So now I have right. to use the clarification term because now people aren't going to know what I'm talking about. Yeah, the only, so, only time I don't is if I... So I often start a talk, like if I'm talking to a church or a university or whatever, I'll, I'll say, uh, you know, as a guest speaker, I'll say, look, so this is the topic uh, known as libertarian free will. I'll define what, what that means. And I say, now, uh, I will usually, instead of saying libertarian free will, I'm just going to say libertarian freedom. But if I just use the term freedom or free will from this point out, you know, I mean this concept unless I make uh, a point to say I'm talking about some other way of understanding free will at this point. So right. I, I just say, be careful, um, define what you mean, uh, and, and just call it libertarian freedom. Um, when you're talking to people and, uh, it works for me. Absolutely. Good question, um, though. yeah, Paul Haberling, Haberling, whatever, uh, says Guillaume has already refuted Stratton on agent causal libertarianism. <laughs> so, uh, yes, uh, he wrote a 50 page, uh, uh, blog, um, published it on his website. Um, uh, critiquing my book six weeks later, I wrote a 50 page response, um, and, uh, showed that the big ideas were not refuted. And in fact, uh, much of that, uh, turned into um, much, I would say, turn into the paper that I co-authored with J.P. Moreland. So go to that one now. Um, see if see if what he said it's see if it's refuted. Um, the, yeah, I don't the recent the most recent advancements in the literature. No, I, I would say what Guillaume did was he helped me to tighten some things up with this critique, and I've made it clear that I'm thankful for it. But he has not refuted it. What he's done is actually helped me make it stronger. He, 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 along with Alex Malpass, the atheist, both these guys saw fit to critique early forms of the argument. Um, and but I said in one of my last articles is that which does not kill the argument makes it stronger. And so uh, I saw that philosoph some philosophical precision needed to be used in the 
uh, defense of the premises, some wording needed to be changed. And now you've seen this change wording in the literature and the published literature um, in, in, 19, in 2022 um, and in the, the updated versions I've offered at the Evangelical Philosophical Society and in forthcoming works. So uh, yeah, I mean, Guillaume did a good job making critiques of stuff that came out in 2020. The arguments moved on since then. So I encourage people to get up to speed. Right. And uh, not to mention, I don't think it refute because if the big, big ideas still stand, it, did, yeah. it wasn't a successful refutation. I have and I talked to Guillaume. I mean, Guillaume and I, we've had a couple in-person conversations and we get along just fine. He, uh, him and I chide each other in a fun way. But, you know, I asked him, how does moral responsibility wax on in his view? Um, and I guess that all respected to Guillaume, but uh, he kind of, he kept created one category after another category after another category. And he kept going and going and going to try to deal with how being a determinist can still bring moral responsibility. And have you, have you seen What is a Woman? Yeah. Have you seen that? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. You know that part when Matt Walsh asks that gender study professor, like, what is a woman? And then it kind of does that like fade where you just see the guy keep going on and yeah. on and on. And like, he just sits there quietly. Literally, that's what I kind of felt like. I'm like, I feel like we are creating so many crazy little categories to get around it. And I still felt like all the categories did not deal with the issue. Um, yeah. So uh, as long as the big ideas still stand, they don't follow. Um, and the Paul followed up with saying that Stratton's MO seems to be a begging LFW anytime he mentions rational responsibility thinking, etc. So he's accusing you of begging the question essentially because you believe in libertarian free will. Oh, that's just, I mean, that's literally uh, just crazy. Um, I mean, it's it, libertarian freedom. I mean, they, these are, I offer valid. That means they're structurally uh, correct arguments that have been mapped out symbolically to make sure there's no begging of questions by guys, by philosophers that dream in symbolic logic. They have mapped this, these things out to make sure that the conclusion or that the premises, if they're true, are uh, uh, not begging questions, right? That, that, that's structurally valid. So for a, an argument to be sound, um, for a deductive argument to be sound, that means it's also got to be valid, uh, structurally valid. So that means that it's got to be structurally valid and the premises have to be true, or you have to think they're at least likely true to move on to the conclusions. And, and there's no begging of questions. Uh, and, and there's been a lot of pop level people on Facebook complaining about this. And then we'll see actual PhD philosophers come on. No, that's not begging the question. No, that's not begging the question. And the pop level folks are like, yes, it is. Yes, it is. And like, I mean, really it comes to the point where how can you reason with somebody when you show them that you're not begging the question? It is a deductive conclusion. Uh, I mean, man, let, let's, let's go through, let's go through it here. I mean, so many to, to uh, pick from. Let's do the last one that I, I did with Alex Malpass. One, if naturalistic determinism is true, then human beings lack libertarian freedom. All right, that's true by definition, okay? No question yep. begging going on. Two, if human beings lack libertarian freedom, then their rational processes are unreliable to attain truth about metaphysical matters. Why is that the case? Because if you're not a libertarian free thinking, that means by definition that something or someone else is determining the entirety of your mental activity. What is that? 
well, for the atheist, it's not, it's mindless stuff that knows nothing about metaphysics for the deter for the divine determinist. That's a supernatural being who determines all of his own followers to get theolo theological matters wrong. So that means if human beings lack libertarian freedom, you know, so I just said, I started out number one, if naturalistic determinism is, let's just take that out. Let's just say one, if determinism is true, naturalistic or divine, then human beings lack libertarian freedom. Two, if human beings lack libertarian freedom, then their rational processes are unreliable to attain truth about metaphysical matters. Why? Because they're determined by mindless or deceptive stuff. Three, no question begging so far. Three, human beings, uh, human beings rational processes are reliable to attain truth about metaphysical matters. Right? That's why metaphysicians and theologians exist, right? because we can do that. And to argue against it assumes that you've just done it in the negative. So to yep. argue against it assumes it. There is no question. If there's question begging going on, it's saying, no, you can't do that. Let me tell you why. Well, now you, uh, that's self-defeat. That's self right? So there's no question begging going on. What do we got here? Two deductive arguments. Therefore, human beings have libertarian freedom. Five, therefore, determinism, whether it be naturalistic or divine, determinism is false. Tell me where the question begging is. I'm, I'm, right. I'm, I'm tired of non-academics. Oh, it's question begging. It's question begging. Uh, no, it's not. And I can, if I, if I can show it's symbolically, uh, structurally valid, and then back up each premise, showing that there's no uh, question begging. But then you've got non-academics who don't know what they're talking about, but think they do, going around saying, "No, it's question begging." Well, all right, whatever. <laughs> I'm going to talk with folks that understand how logic works. Sorry, Paul. I'm not, I don't mean to be, uh, attacking here. I just, I, I'm, I hear this a lot and I've explained it over and over and over and it's, it's frustrating to me. So I apologize. You saw some, some of my frustration come out there. <laughs> I like why you're back. eating. I am for that. Like I'm for like the more bad because no, you're absolutely 100% true. I say all the time, like if you're going to tell me I don't have free will and some like, or that I'm not free to choose between better or worse response or from A to B, whatever, if mm. I'm not free and you're going to try to convince me that I'm not free, you just, gave into my premise that you are free because you think I can can change my mind. Um, then on top of that, uh, I mean, people don't like that, but it is what it is. It's, it follows. And then also we do know that the brain, we, we make rational. And this is why it's like people say it's question begging because they have sometimes people's epistemological views can kind of get in the way. But it's like, no, no, no. If I, it is rational, like I can make rational inferences. And then and we know that I don't actually have to like pick it up like a bottle and demonstrate that you have that capability. No, no, I could just point to your lived reality and go, we do science. We examine disease and how it responds. We make rational inferences to the world around us. We do it all the time. Therefore, you do have that capability. Otherwise, we want to have half the medicines we have now. We want to have half the things that we do now. So we do have that capability. So yeah, now, uh, now, just to be clear, I mean, my early forms of the argument were going after all aspects of inferential knowledge. And I think, I think there's still something there. But after I partnered with Moreland, we really backed off. So let's give them, or, you know, for the sake of argument, let's give them uh, inferences about the physical world. Let's talk about metaphysics and theology, things that are other than this world, things that are uh, past or, or apart from the scope of the scientist, 
Um, uh, you know, let, let's talk about metaphysics and theology. And, and when you get into those matters, things start to become much more clear, I think. Right. Like, how do you know that you even know? Like, you can have all sorts of various epistemological frameworks, but the whole point of the free thinking argument is like, you don't even have an epistemological framework at all that you can trust yeah. if you're determined. So anyway, mm -hmm. um, and that goes for any for, form of internalism, externalism, whatever you want to get into. Right. Yeah. A lot um, of people, a lot of people will say, Hey, no, look, you're, you're assuming externalism. Well, actually I'm an internalist, right? That's the, same. <laughs> I, I've heard it. I've heard from both like, Oh, you're just assuming externalism. No, I'm not actually I, uh but then i'll have other people say no you're you're assuming internalism like no i i am an internalist but i'm not assuming it that what we are arguing for and, and Moreland and i explained this in the footnotes this is go, going after uh uh internalism and in, if you don't have a libertarian freedom to think it doesn't matter if you're an internalist or an externalist you're exactly. Not, you have reason to doubt your metaphysical and theological beliefs. If you're none, of, say, none of your epistemology even gets off the ground. Like, right, none of it. Right. No, no, no view. Mm -hmm. um, the Hudson TD777 asked question. Have you read the book Blame It on the Brain by Edward Welch? Uh, no, but I've read. Uh, I, I would recommend a book called You Are Not Your Brain by Jeffrey Schwartz. Um, and, oh, I haven't uh, read that one yet. I've heard it's yeah, good. Yeah. Uh, he was actually on the on the list of a possible contributor to the thing I'm working on right now, but, uh, didn't work out, but, uh, Jeffrey Schwartz, um, he's a, he's a scientist and a neuro or a neuroscientist, I think, or ner something like that. Uh, he, he head of the psychology department, I think at UCLA. Um, and he wrote Fun this text. awesome book called you are not your brain. And by that, he came to realize there is something about you that, is not reducible to the brain and that you've got the freedom to think that you have the power to take thoughts captive before they take you. Now I've, he didn't word it that way. That those are, that's how I've phrased it a lot lately. Um, but I say, no, you have the power to take your thoughts captive. Second Corinthians 10, five before they, before bad thinking takes you Colossians two, eight. And then I'll say, and that's backed up. Uh, if you want some scientific validation of that and that we can do it, check out Jeffrey Schwartz book. You are not your brain. He's got other books uh, too, but that's one I, I recommend starting with. Nice. And then Nick Quint asks me, the, so when we having that debate on women in ministry, I'm hoping to debate Steve Gregg this year. You, yeah, you, uh, you game to pick up the pieces after he annihilates me. <laughs> um, I'm pretty mid will. Uh, you totally could beat me. No cap. Uh, I, I don't know. So one of the so I'll be like I, I've said this a thousand times. It's not a topic I'm even that passionate about. I feel like everyone else is more passionate about it than yeah. I am. It's kind of <laughs> for me. It's kind of like the same thing with the age of the earth thing. Like I just don't mm -hmm. care enough to pour that that's many how, hours. That's how I am with end times with eschatology. I'm like I don't care. God's got but, it. Uh, yeah, it's just a, it doesn't strike my interest. And yeah. so I'm most likely, uh, Nick, I wouldn't be picking up the pieces. You'd just be making me eat my lunch because I there'd probably be so many things that I'm not aware of that are contentious. Uh, I do want to get into it's one that topic and my eschatology I've kind of put on shelves and I'm like yeah. reaching toward the eschatology shelf, I think first. I just I don't know, man. I don't know. I just don't care. But I mean I'd be willing to have a conversation about it and tell you what my thoughts on and just try to poke holes and see if any of the holes actually stick because I'm more than open to having my mind changed. Yeah, like you, like eschatology, age of the earth. I just don't care. Just don't care. Mm -hmm. um, maybe I should care, but I don't currently. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Yeah.
So, I mean, I think any theological issue we should care about, but we also have to realize we've only got a few decades of study on this planet, right? And so, I think, and I have studied each of, I think, everything that should fall under the important of a, or fall under the category of an important theological issue. Have I studied it enough? Have I studied each thing of these enough? No, I've studied each Mm -hmm. one probably enough to have uh, an opinion that I am not going to hold with a tight grip. I'm always willing, I'm willing to consider possible defeaters to it. Right mm-hmm. now there's some things that I've laser focused on for years. Right. And, and that's what, where I, uh, that's where I'm going to, I'm going to need really powerful defeaters <laughs> to change my mind. Right. Um, and, uh, and I'm still looking for those defeaters. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, anyway, you can't study everything. You, uh, there's only one Dr. Craig, who can be an expert on everything <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and everybody else, you know, we got to do our best, but yeah, I think, I think we, we should, I mean, part of, one of the marks of, of a, of a Christian is one who seeks knowledge. Um, mm-hmm. And in uh, second Peter, I believe, you know, that's part of it. Somebody who seeks knowledge, you also need to seek to be more loving and uh, show brotherly affection and things like that. And if you're missing any of these key aspects, you red flags are raised, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like, um, either you're in sin or you're not, I mean, you need to ask yourself if a Christian does this and I'm not doing these things and okay, I need to ask some, myself some serious questions here. Um, but knowledge is one of them. And so we, we should, I want true theological beliefs across the board. Um, so I'm going to do my best to get there, but man, I got to tackle one thing at a time. It's, and I have a lot of friends that are helpful for me. And like, you know, like you said, that when there's a Christian, like a Christian does this thing, but I'm not doing it. You have to recognize immaturity. Like I, I'm not mature in this area. And people might think this is kind of funny. I've been in pastoral ministry for about 10 years and I, uh, and I suck at prayer life. I'll tell anybody, I will read the Bible cover to cover. I will do all the devotionals. I will go to all the Bible studies. I'll do all the discipleship groups, but I suck in my prayer life. I know yeah. this. Um, so what I did this year as I, I was like, you know, what, I'm going to, I'm going to do some changes. So I actually got myself a prayer rope, like they use it oh, in wow. uh, the Eastern church and I keep it in my pocket and it just reminds me whenever I touch it, I'm like, Oh, I need, I should pray for somebody right now. And right. it has actually wow. been a big benefit, but it's like taking an extra step for myself. I know a lot of Christians that are just like, well, I just don't read. I'm like, well, you should be trying to love God with your mind. Yeah. And uh, just like be, I need to be loving him through prayer. Audible. At least listen right. to Audible. Right. Just <laughs> doing something. Yeah. Um, and uh, shut up, Nick. Nick's over here. I've been in pastoral ministry for 10 years. That's because you look like you're 67 years old. <laughs> <laughs> shut up, Nick. All right. This, these are my friends. These are my friends. Can you imagine my enemies? Um, so, but, uh, all that to say, as I really do think the free thinking argument is very coherent, I am on the side of that. I think it is very true. I think, uh, I think it, if, uh, that if we can't even believe in our faculties in general, if we're not free thinkers, our epistemology doesn't even get off the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, as much as I love David Palman, I think he was incorrect in his assessment. Um, doesn't mean that he's not my friend, but I just don't agree with agree with him here but also i think that the cannibalism uh needs to stop um in the apologetics community and people need to start appreciating other people's work i mean i say i feel like people always want me to pick a side with certain people and sometimes I'm like well sometimes somebody's just picking a fight to pick a fight and like i get why they're picking the fight mm-hmm. but i just 
I like I get your point, but I think the, the the entire approach has been incorrect. And like I said, there's people I highly respect in apologetics that uh, have war with other groups. And I don't know, I guess because of the way I got in, I saw a lot of value in what everyone was arguing about and we started kind of having a more well-rounded view. And I've used different, slightly different arguments depending on who I'm talking to. Cause my goal is like the kingdom overall. And my goal is evangelism mm -hmm. through my yeah. work. Uh, and my goal isn't just that everyone has to agree with my exact way of handling everything. You know, I have a very strong opinions on certain topics, but it doesn't mean I require you to agree with me for me to see value in you or your work. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, hope that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So um, I, I just, uh, I just started looking at the comments here. Uh, click on that one from Jordan Thornburg. Jordan Thornburg, which one? This one? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So uh, another uh, young man, um, that I would, uh, well, yeah. So another young apologist here. Um, uh, and I have, yes, I have, I started reading, he wrote like a 300 page glorified blog. Um, and I started reading through that. And as somebody who grades, uh, for one of my jobs at Trinity, uh, I've even explained, I've told this to him. I couldn't believe how many red marks I was making i printed off everything that he wrote there's so many misunderstandings and, and mistakes um and you can find countless uh not countless but a whole lot of videos on my youtube channel where i've interacted with some of the things you've said articles on my website devoted to some of the things you've said so yes i've seen his stuff i've interacted a ton with him um he's if there's he 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 will, he's a guy that will object to almost anything I say. Um, at one point I even invited him to, uh, cause I was trying to make a friend. Um, you know, he's one of these young apologists that just attack. I mean, he just attacks, he does attack me. He says he doesn't attack my character and I've seen him attack my character. Um, and, uh, but I'm trying, I was trying to make a friend with him, and I thought, okay, here's this guy that's really loud on Facebook. I'm going to invite him to, uh, interact with me and, uh, because I knew that he would just object to almost everything I was saying when I was working through my, and I told him, I said, nobody's going to be a better objector than you. I didn't say his objector objections would be good, but I, I was like, nobody will be a better at objecting. And he turned it down. Um, and, and I, I, I just wanted to hopefully make a friend. And then as he was raising objections, I could show him why they weren't objections. And, uh, Anyway, it's, uh, um, yeah, I've seen them and uh, just check out everything on my YouTube channel and, uh, and, and my website, Freethink Inc. That's freethinkinc.org and the Freethinking Ministries YouTube channel. And then, uh, finally, Amber Marone said, maybe, I hope it's Marone, Marone, um, it's, it's dangerously close to like spelled as like why well, I want to be like, is it Morone, Morone, Moron? And I'm like, Moron sounds wrong, so I don't want to say that. So Amber, we'll go with a safe bet. Amber uh, said maybe we should have some female scholars in this conversation, fellas. We live it in a way y'all have no idea. Um, I'm more than welcome to – I. Hey, email me at the church split at gmail.com. Let us know. Uh, I'm willing to have most anyone on. Uh who you are, what your area of study is. We'll have a conversation about it. If you have published work, we can talk about that. 
I'm all about exposing more people, giving other people um, like other things known. And also, uh, Sean at Kingdom in Context said, your prayer rope is literally the point of God instructing us to wear a seed seat from Numbers 15. That is also true. I actually forgot about that. But I got a prayer rope because it's easier. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, so with that said, uh, Tim, do you have any final thoughts before we close up shop here? Um, you know, I just, I've said it already today. Let's, I mean, dis, if you want to get into this game, it's all about disagreeing with each other, right? It's arguing and there's a right way to argue and a wrong way. Um, I think the young apologists have a lot to learn about, I mean, they're smart. You'll never see, see me say they are, they're not smart. Um, they're uneducated. Uh, in fact, I will say they're, they have probably very high IQs, probably higher than mine. Um, and, uh, and I'll never say you can't learn from somebody that doesn't have letters behind their name. I think my dad is the smartest guy I know, and he's got no degrees, um, never, you know, no bachelor degree, no master's, no PhD, nothing, but he knows so much about so many things. Um, and I learned so much from him in this process. So I will never look down on somebody for not having uh, a PhD. Uh, with that said, there's a, a lot of these folks that haven't been tr officially trained and have only got their training on Facebook or Twitter or X, whatever. Um, you've missed out on how to communicate and how to argue uh, and, and and how a Christian should engage in these things. And guess what? I haven't always done it right either. Um, I'm still learning. But we have to look at what the goal is and constantly evaluate our actions and our thoughts compared to the goal, to be like Christ. Um, so I am. I have never said that my arguments are off limits. Uh, they should be scrutinized. I invite people to scrutinize them because I care about truth. Um, that's why if you'll never see me uh, try to cancel somebody, I, I want to hear from them. Um, and if the argument is valid and sound, truth will win at the end of the day. Um, we don't have, let's love each other, uh, respect each other, not strive to cancel each other, and let's pray for each other. Some of these young apologists who have been very mean to me, I was talking to uh, a guy that's pretty famous. Uh, it, it's funny, almost all these guys have, uh, well, not almost all of them, but there's a couple of them have experienced similar things. And, um, and I, I asked one of these guys how he deals with this. Now he's a he's a scholar. He's a PhD. He also tries to do pop level work. He's well known, and he says the people that cause me the most pain, I pray for them every day. And that hit me hard. And that was very hard for me to do, but I have, um, I have prayed for these folks. And I'll be honest, I'm, I don't pray for them every day, like my, like it was a. Uh, you know, the, the, the advice given to me from this guy that he does, but that's just something that, uh, I'm going to say right now, I'm going to commit to every day. These guys, 
I had somebody ask me last week talking about one of these young apologists um, that will remain nameless, but they asked me, do you just hate that guy? I said, no, by no means. I said, I love him. I love him and I want the best for him, but he's hurt me tremendously. He's caused me a lot of pain, but I love him. And I'm going to just make a commitment right now on this show to pray for each of these guys every day. That's, and that's hard because I don't want to. My flesh doesn't want to, but I know it's the right thing to do. Um, and I just want to encourage people to, to start praying for those, even for the, Christians or non-Christians, right? But definitely we got to pray for the Christians that are coming against us. Um, and I, one more thing. I mean, I would say we have to be careful when we see other Christians trying to advance arguments for the sake of the gospel, um, arguments, let's critique them. Critique the banana argument, right? It deserves to be critiqued, right? But, but, but uh, and critique my argument. Critique the kalam, critique the moral argument. But we also have to realize that there's there's a lot of people that are Christians today that what first got their attention was the moral argument, for example. And that's what, if, they, if they're going to point to one thing that really brought them to Christ, it was the moral argument. Mm -hmm. So, look, feel free to critique it, fellow Christians. But I have literally, true stories, been reached out to by a couple times who their faith was rocked when fellow young apologists to start talking about how the moral argument is so bad. They started feeling like things were crumbling around. And I, you know, I, I worked with them first. I said, look, the free, uh, the moral argument is sound. These objections don't hold up. But even if they did, Christianity is still true. And it, it mm -hmm. doesn't matter if you came here through that argument or not. But young apologists recognize that when you do this, uh, you could be really impacting the faith of somebody who I don't get to talk to, you know, to be careful. And, and, and really, I don't know of anybody that came to Christ through the banana argument. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, there's good arguments. There, there's arguments out there that we, that there's probably arguments out there that are, that are faulty, that have brought people to Christ, but probably, probably because the big idea was right but the wording wasn't. So anyway, I, I could go on and on and on. Um, no, you but, have to be uh, careful. I mean, yeah. yeah, to that point, we have to be careful on what arguments, because I mean, the bottom line is you might not like it because you think it might have, you know, I think the problem is that it does this and this, this. doesn't mean it's not a sound argument. It doesn't mean you shouldn't use it. And we have to be careful on what arguments that we attack that are sound arguments that are very historical to the Christian faith, very historical to the philosophy because sometimes you're trying to undercut some of those things too. Like, it's like, okay, but then you better, I, I say this like in general, if you ever complain about something, you better have a solution as well. Mm -hmm. So if you go, I don't think this is how we get morality with God, but I think this is how, but if all you're doing is showing your problem with the way most people present it, but you're not showing a secondary, you could, all you're doing is smacking down someone's view and not showing them an ulterior, ulterior. Amen. And Amen. all they're going to do is go, oh my gosh, this is wrong. I have nowhere else mm -hmm. to go. Christianity must be wrong. That's not the way to do it. You have to present 
I think this view is wrong. Let me give you a better view. Yeah. That, oh, cool. And, well, now if I'm going to leave this, I know there's a safe place I can land. Right. You and know, that's what, I, so that's what I've done with the moral argument. So I see some of the objections raised against the moral argument as it's been traditionally offered, as it, as it originally uh, um, persuaded me to think it was a good argument. Now I've said, okay, the wording I don't think is quite right, but what's the, but the big idea is still right. Okay. Now let me offer some additional, some different wording. I can make it, I, I can reword this in such a way that it avoids the criticisms. And not only that, the way, the manner in which premise is defended also comes in. And I mm -hmm. think, so for instance, I don't like divine command theory. I don't think same divine command theory can be used to defend the premise. So I offer something else called uh, purpose theory um, or objective purpose theory or even divine purpose theory. Um, and I say that God's commands don't make it right necessarily, but it puts us in an epistemic position to know ultimate reality um, that we would otherwise not know without divine intervention. Um, but anyway, there's just a different, the big idea behind the moral argument is right. The wording can be picked on can be, you know, the nitpicking on the words, fine. Let's let, I, I realize I could do that or I could make the argument stronger. And I think I've made it stronger. I've run it by, uh, um, Dr. Craig. I've run it by, uh, uh, Adam Johnson, um, David Baggett, right? I'm looking, okay, here's, who's the guys that have advanced the moral argument more than anybody. What do you guys think of this? They're all giving me stamps of approval, right? So, um, make it better. Right, say okay. I don't like this wording. Here's what we can do. We can we can use this th these words to avoid that problem, and then I can defend the premise using this idea instead of this one. Still related, but now we can see why it passes. So the moral argument is is sound, um, mm -hmm. and I've got some you know even some recent uh, articles and videos um, people can can see on that. But that's what we, that's what Christians should do if they don't like my free thinking argument. Look at the big idea I'm advancing. And then if you don't like the way it's worded, make it better. Usually what I see is people nitpick on words. I'm like, okay, fine. Here's a new version that avoids your problem. Until you defeat the big idea, the argument's not going anywhere. Right. Uh, anyway. Exactly. Yeah. 100%. So I agree with that. Uh, it's And that's exactly what we should be doing. Like everyone knows my, at this point, people who are regular to the channel know my atonement view is not in line with mainstream Protestantism. But um, I'm not a universalist, by the way. I just, I'm a Christus Victor primarily kind of guy. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, but you know what? Whenever I've critiqued like the mainstream views, I've ever always been like, but I think this is the better way to understand it always bring in a better way otherwise all, all you're doing is destroying someone's world and you're not fixing it um and i you don't want to just be known as being a wrecking ball so mm -hmm. again because we're in ministry and we want pe we want people in the kingdom so yeah. anyhow with with that said um Do dr shan i really appreciate you coming on um and guys go check out free thinking ministries i think it is very valuable i think he's doing good work there uh, it's been great to see your channel grow and explode uh, and so you've been doing great work and uh, look out for the second edition of mere Molinism. Uh, I'll be looking forward to that as you're breaking down more uh, free will discussions in there. So with that said, don't forget to be a Patreon to our channel 
And uh, Tim, do you have anything to say before I roll my Patreon ad? Uh, you know, the way I end all of my videos is stay reasonable. Isaiah all 118. Right. <laughs> and I always say, take care and God bless. So we got our taglines. Let's roll clip. And guys, if you want to avoid seeing obnoxious ads like this, we got to be strong. We got to be healthy. When you want to feel nice and strong and satisfied, you got to check out Good Ranchers. Right now, go to GoodRanchers.com. Use promo code Knowles. Or that. We also want to thank Free Life Soap because I don't know about yes. y'all, but I got a new shipment of soap yes, in. I did. Yes, sir. And it was great. Or this. Hi, guys. My name is Will, and I'm here to tell you why you should be a student at Trinity College of the Bible and Theological Seminary. Or that. To get to that momentarily first, I want to talk to you about Daily Wire's most trusted privacy partner and premier sponsor of this show, ExpressVPN. Are you aware that your browsing data is constantly being tracked and monitored? Please support us on Patreon. We do not want to annoy you filthy heretics with any sort of ads on this show. So when you're a Patreon subscriber, you also get access to our apologetics classes and other video content a whole month. You can support us on Patreon for as low as $1 a month.